I'm so glad to be here with you this morning in Hopedale, and I am really glad to have my wife here with me. She doesn't usually come when I travel to preach, so she's in the back, and I see a friend of mine also came, so it's good to see them as well. I'm especially grateful to be with you on this first Sunday in Advent. I understand, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that this is your last Sunday in a month when you have explored the spiritual theme of gratitude as a congregation. Yeah? Okay, good. By the way, I, um, I've been worshiping at Yale Divinity School. We, we talk back uh, during the, the service a little bit. So, um, you know, I'm not reading a plumbing manual up here, so you are, you are welcome to, you know, give me a little response if you want. <clears throat> um, so you're not alone, I guess, in reflecting on the theme of gratitude this month. It is the month of Thanksgiving. I guess it's kind of a popular theme. And it would be a mistake if I assumed that Facebook was anything but a heavily edited version of reality. But if it gives, if my Facebook feed reflects any of what's going on out there, some of you celebrated this week with family and friends. And some of you celebrated alone or chose not to celebrate or went to the movies instead Some of you had disasters and mishaps in the kitchen, maybe, or maybe you were stuck in traffic, and some of you argued this week. Some of you fought. Some of you cried. Some of you had everything go off without a hitch, and maybe for the first time this year, um, maybe for the first time ever. Some of you had gorgeous spreads, judging from my Facebook feed, I'm just saying. Perhaps one or two of you got sick, and some of you might have had canceled plans or woke up and not in the mood. By the way, am I describing anybody's um, Thursday with any of these descriptors? Does this sound about right? Okay. I wonder how many of you went around in a circle with family or friends or church folk and sometime this week and said something you're grateful for. How many of you did that? All right, some of you out there. And among those of you who did it, how many of you found that really meaningful? A few, a few. Is there anyone brave enough to admit that maybe that wasn't so meaningful for them this year? Anybody? All right, I got one, I got one. Well, when I learned I would be preaching on gratitude on the Sunday after Thanksgiving, especially after you'd already been talking about gratitude for three weeks, I got to feel to wondering whether um, you might be a little done with the topic. I pictured myself like a mother standing over you, coaxing you to practice piano because it's good for you. It is good for you, gratitude. And yet, my colleague, the Reverend Tom Shade, writes about the day after Thanksgiving, quote, As we emerge from our feast-induced slumber, all enumerations of our blessings flee from our minds, but one. We might have an unmaxed-out credit card somewhere. Off to the mall. Start the Christmas shopping now. It's a challenge to keep up the gratitude, that sense of well-being in the world, that family and friends 
and love are enough that we felt on Thanksgiving, end quote. This can be particularly true when we're deprived in some way of friendship or family connections or of basic necessities. This time of year, we can long to fill those voids. And there's a second thing that I have been thinking about as I've reflected this month on how we might worship together today. All month, I knew I would be preaching this sermon. I knew I would be preaching about gratitude when we got the news about the destruction of the Doctors Without Borders Hospital in Afghanistan. I knew I would be preaching about gratitude when a small town in Brazil was buried under toxic mud from a mining operation. I knew I would be preaching about gratitude when we learned the cause of the Russian plane crash. I knew I would be preaching about gratitude when we were learning about still more people drowning at sea in search of safety from the danger of war-torn homelands. I knew I would be preaching about gratitude when this month's events in Paris and Mali happened. I knew I would be preaching about gratitude as we grappled with white supremacy's continued role on campuses across the country and were horrified to learn of protesters shot by white supremacists. And as we encountered more state-sanctioned violence, against our black and brown brothers and sisters. What I have been asking myself is, what has gratitude got to say to the world's broken and battered and yet still somehow still rising hearts of November? What has gratitude got to say to us on this weekend after Thanksgiving? when, despite another year of of decreased trending sales on Black Friday, online holiday sales are still climbing, and our capitalist world continues to say to us that family and friends and love are only part of a much bigger and shinier package which we can buy. The words of Frederick Buchner have been ringing in my ears. Here is the world, he says. Beautiful and terrible things happen. Do not be afraid. Here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things happen. Do not be afraid. So let me affirm the spiritual work that you have already been doing in November and voice to you the three things that gratitude might have to say to all of us about this. First, in troubled times, our gratitude helps us recenter what is important. After you gave your thanks on Thursday for mashed potatoes or a turkey that didn't burn, what remained in your heart? Those things, I want you to just pull them back up because they're going to get buried soon under December madness. So bring them into this room now. They are precious. 
In fact, turn to the people closest to you and say, here is what is precious to me, and tell them one of those things. Here's what I want to hold on to while I'm being made to believe that what I really need right now is a new iPhone 6. Here's what I want to hold on to. So turn to your neighbors and say, this is what is precious to me right now. Can you do that? I'm stretching you. I can tell. And whether you've just been telling somebody or you're sitting and letting it just set, just bring those things into the room right now. Those things need to be in the room with us. In troubled times, those things need to be in the room with us. I want to summarize some words from Carlton Pearson. We live in a world that tells us we are the clothes we wear, or the car we drive, the phone we use, or the jobs we do. Our successes and our failures. You are not these things. And neither is your neighbor. I don't know. Shall I make you turn to your neighbor and say, you are not these things? (laughs) Methodist minister and faith development theorist James Fowler says, real idolatry in the Jewish and Christian traditions does not have to do with the worship of statues or pagan altars. Idolatry is rather the profoundly serious business of committing oneself or betting one's life on finite centers of value and power as the source of one's confirmation of worth and meaning and as the guarantor of survival with quality. Our commitments and trusts shape our identities. They determine and are determined by the communities we join. In a real sense, we become part of that which we love and trust. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, Jesus said. End quote. This is why I was so glad to learn of the community Thanksgiving hosted by Black Lives Matter protesters outside of the Minneapolis police station where protests have been taking place, we have the illusion that we are autonomous individuals living in independent families. The Minneapolis Thanksgiving dinner, along with countless dinners in churches and faith communities across the country. Do you have one here? No? Where the, the, those kinds of dinners where you're gathering in community, they're a moment when the veil of illusion is lifted and our connections to one another are not only made visible, but centered as important over and above our clothes and our cars and our jobs and our phones and our successes and our failures. This is a revolutionary countercultural act. Second, our gratitude not only recenters what it is important, it is linked to what is enduring. If during this month you sat long enough with your gratitude 
to move past the momentary wonder and awe or incredible blessings of your year or hard-earned opportunities and you brushed against something longer-lasting and more powerful than the day-to-day or year-to-year, if you found yourself giving thanks for the ocean and the mountains, for the giants of the forest, for the life-giving atoms that hold you together, atoms that come from and will return to stardust, or for what you know to be divine. If you did these things, raise your hand. I want to see you. Some of you, some of you did. When I was a very young adult living in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains, and I needed to be reminded of how small my problems were, I'd get my dog, her name was Nikki, she was a husky mix, and we'd go hiking to the top of the lowest peak near my apartment. There, I'd find a rock to sit on. I'd look up at the other higher peaks, and I was reminded of the grand scheme of things. It didn't take me long to realize that I was smaller than a pinprick on the global scale. What a relief in those years as I was leaving the developmentally necessary narcissism of adolescence and setting out on my first attempts at living an adult life, knowing that the mark I was leaving was not large or indelible, was as comforting a thought as any. And later on, when I moved out west of the Cascades in Washington State, I would do the same thing by taking a walk in the woods in a park near my house where the earth is green from soil to sky. Lush green leaves crawled over the earth's surface as ground cover and moss ran up the tree trunks. And over my head there was a canopy of leaves spread so wide that I could see no blue. And there tucked into that one dark, warm corner of the earth, the corner that smelled of decaying plants and growing, blooming green things. There, I came to know my place in the great web of connected living things. These days, here on the East Coast, I find myself heading to the water when I need a reality check. Watching the waves come in, I think to myself, these waves have come and gone just like this for millions of years before I was born, and they will be doing the same long after I'm gone. Whatever I do as a parent, however much I screw up, if I don't get a raise, or whether I remember to make the green bean casserole, When we recenter what is important, we also recall that we are part of something great and awe-inspiring and bigger than us. Third, what is bigger than us and more enduring than us is unfolding within us. Living systems are not static and unchanging, and neither is the wonder of our existence. 
our gratitude reminds us of what is both now and what is not yet. This is the Advent mystery. A grateful heart is an expectant, open heart that because it has known goodness, holds on to the promise that what is most important will come back to the center. And it's coming back to the center right now for all of us, breaking through even in the darkest hour of the night. Do you remember Fred Rogers from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? Some of you remember this, yes? He said, in times of trouble, look for the helpers. Look for the people opening their homes to refugees. The protesters fighting for a better tomorrow with all the idealism and vital vitality of youth, look to the community builders, the wealth sharers, and even the agitators who are crying out for a better tomorrow. These people are the frogs from our frog and toad story. They bring us good news when we are in despair. And they wait for it with us all at the same time. When you find the helpers, you find the flourishing of all that that is most important. And so it is, and may it be so.